Hey everybody, welcome back to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And here's your host, Will Musto. Welcome back to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. Listeners, what's a step-by-step guide for minimizing the stresses that surround a race? That's what this week's guest, Sage Roundtree, set out to produce when she wrote the soon-to-be-released book, Racing Wisely. Sage is a yoga instructor and running coach, and Racing Wisely is her fifth published book. In her previous four books, she focused on recovery, but this time she's tackled an issue that's never before been covered by an entire book, racing. Sage really does a fantastic job of unpacking the step-by-step process behind racing and presenting it in a fashion that allows one to focus on a simple task, running to the best of their ability on that day rather than worrying about all of the little things that can easily destroy a great race. Here are some of the things we talk about. 1. Setting four different levels of goals. 2. Making a packing list before you race for your race day bag. 3. How to race for time. 4. How to race against competition. And 5. Keys to stay focused when a race goes bad. As always, check out any of the resources we might mention during the show. Go to www runnersconnect.net slash rc34 that's runnersconnect.net slash rc34 welcome back to the podcast and uh, today we have a guest sage roundtree who actually has been on our show before um, back in december i believe and uh, she has a book that's coming out in a in just a couple of weeks uh, titled racing wisely it's her fifth uh fifth title and uh, just real quick, just as always, um, for any resources we talk about, including a link to the book and, and how to get on her newsletter to be notified when it officially launches, uh, go to www.runnersconnect.net slash rc34. And Sage, you know, little brief introduction there. But in your own words, let's tell the audience a little bit about your background. I am an endurance sports coach with certifications from USA Triathlon and the Red Runners Club of America. And I am, as my name I think implies, a yoga teacher. I usually tell folks, though, I came to the name before I came to yoga. I got sage from my parents and roundtree from my husband. But it, <laughs> it works well to remind people that yoga is an integral part of what I do. So I, I do have a mindful approach to endurance sports, trying to figure out how endurance sports can be part of the bigger picture of what we're doing on this planet. So it's not just about um, running your fastest times. It's about learning about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Which, I mean, what what better way to learn about yourself than through going out and training for a couple hours a day or whatever? Uh, A lot of time for introspective there. Introspection. I don't know the word. (laughs) Uh, This is your your fifth book. Like I said, the first four were – Three of them, I believe, were about yoga, and one was about recovery. Um, and yoga, obviously, is pretty recovery-centric, I think. So mm-hmm. really, all four of them were, were kind of about recovery. And you know, now this one's about racing, which is kind of a totally different sector to, to the whole endurance sports world. Um, and, and actually, you know, I had originally said to you, that's been talked about a lot. And you were like, well, not in any – you know, a lot of magazine articles, but not a lot of books – I was like, wow, that's right. Uh, but what led you to decide to to totally shift gears and then also, um, you know, approach something that's really there have been a lot of magazine articles about it um, and be like, well, I'm going to be the first one or one of the first ones to write a book about this. 
Well, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because I learn a lot about myself when I race. And I know that the athletes that I coach also learn a lot about themselves when they race. And we work together, and I certainly work for my own racing to plan to control what we can control so that we can free up some energy for the race itself. And it's not like racing well is rocket science. If you can just put a little bit of forethought into it, then you can set yourself up to have a better experience on race day. However, as you know, a lot of folks make some pretty basic mistakes and wind up kind of shooting themselves in the foot as they come into the race. So that's a little tough. So I was hoping that I would be able to use my experience, the experience of my athletes, and the experience of a bunch of folks who I talked to while I was writing the book. They shared some pretty hilarious stories about race day mishaps. Uh, and our collective experience, I hope, will help everybody find a way to really capitalize on all the hard work that they put in during training in the race itself. And like we said, yes, there, there are a lot of magazine articles written about various elements of racing, but so far as I know, this is the first book that focuses on race preparation and execution. Mm -hmm. Usually it's about a chapter toward the end of a training book. Right. And instead in this book, there's a chapter early on about training, but the bulk of the book is about the race itself. Which is really cool. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your personal experience racing. What, what is your background? I came uh, to endurance sports pretty organically while I was in graduate school. I have a PhD in English, and that contributes, obviously, to my enjoyment of writing <laughs> and also to my um, question about how endurance sports can help us make sense of our existence, kind of a, the big question of literature mm -hmm. as well. So anyway, I came, I came to running in graduate school when I had a really big dog who needed exercise. And it, it grew really organically because the dog needed to run a little bit farther and I'd let him off the leash and then I'd have to chase him. So I really came to run on the trails during graduate school. And then only after my first daughter was born did I get into road running because I was running in the early morning hours before the day started. And once I was comfortable running on the roads, then I got myself into racing, um, eventually building up to my first marathon in 2002. And I've run several marathons, um, including Boston. And along the way, got into triathlon as interesting cross training. I've done triathlons of all distances up to Ironman. And now I am happily just back on the trails pretty much exclusively and love to run for running sake and also in some ultra marathons. Cool. That's that's great. Um, and co you've mentioned a couple times the athletes that you coach. Um, you, you do private coaching or what is? Private coaching. Cool. Right. Private coaching uh, in sports of all stripes from in endurance running to ultra running to triathlon to adventure racing and mountain biking. Cool. So you're you're all over the place. I which, am. Which means you see a lot, which gives you, you know, a a, a better base to draw from for this book. So that's awesome. Exactly. Now let's uh, let's move on and talk about racing wisely a little bit. Um, you know, obviously from the title, you can tell that the goal is to teach someone to race wisely. Um, but beyond that, what's the basic premise of the book? What's you know what's the thesis statement maybe? I think it's in the subtitle. So the book is called Racing Wisely. A Practical and Philosophical Guide to Performing at Your Personal Best. And let me unpack that for you a little bit. Looking back from personal best, 
uh, you're too young to know this, but once you hit a, come up toward 40 and then come back down on the other side of 40, you're not going to be setting too many personal records, <laughs> maybe for your age group, but not for your lifetime. Right. So trying to get away from the idea of always trying to set a PR and instead thinking about executing the race to your personal best. Mm -hmm. And if you can think through uh, the race and come in with a good plan and then work the plan, then every race can be a personal best experience of some kind, even if the clock doesn't say that you were the fastest you've ever been. And the way to get there is to be both practical and philosophical. And by practical, I mean to set goals that are reasonable, to come up with a pacing strategy, nutrition plan, choosing the equipment that, uh, that will all help you achieve your goals. And everything there is just super practical, like figuring out which shoes to wear, figuring out which clothes to wear, figuring out what's the right pace to start, what's the right pace to continue, how are you going to measure your pace, um, all those practical things that some folks get about halfway through thinking through, but then don't follow through. So the book talks a whole lot about um, the days leading up to the race and managing your energy there, not doing stupid things like wearing flip-flops to the expo and spending four hours buying things that you then try to deploy in the race and changing your plan. Uh, all that is managing the practical element. But at the same time, you also need to be philosophical about your racing, thinking, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this? Am I doing this to win? Am I doing this to learn about myself? Am I doing this to learn about my limits and learn about my strengths? And when you can manage everything practical that's in your control, then you free up some energy so that you can cope when inevitably race day brings things that are out of your control. Because ultimately, the only thing you can control is your attitude. That's where the philosophical part comes in. So once you have been practical, Practical to control everything you can and philosophical to cope with things that you can't control, then you can race wisely. And this is kind of teasing out um, the serenity prayer so that we, we have the, the courage, the strength to control the things we can to bear down in the race when the time comes to, if you're racing competitively, to be strategic about your attacks and then to have the serenity to cope with the things that are out of your control on race day. Yeah. Um... Sorry, I'm processing that a little bit. Uh, <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> it was a lot, but it's good. And, um, and one thing that kind of you, – you said you think the only thing attitude – the only thing you can control is your attitude, which is similar to what I've always said. But I've always kind of, I've always kind of told athletes and been told myself um, there's three things, attitude, mechanics, and effort. Um, mm -hmm. you, you think really it's still just the attitude or – well, when, when things go out of control, okay. then it, but ultimately right. the only thing you can control is your attitude. I sure hope that folks are going to control their right. mechanics okay. and their effort <laughs> from the beginning and not get sucked into a pace that's unsustainable. That's how you get into this downward spiral of things that you can't, you know, where you, you lose control of the things that you can, and then you're faced with the situation that you didn't right. want during the yeah, race Absolutely, itself. and I, I think I've... Like your stomach I've, is bothering you, or you're blistering, or you're crashing and burning because you went out too hard. <laughs> or you just start panicking. That I've too. Done, I've done too many times to like to, to you know, more than I'd care to admit... Um, and let, let's kind of talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about those in-race emergencies. Um, you know, I, I'll just use myself as an example. My sophomore year of college, I ran for a small school in the NAIA, and I was really fit and uh, ran, you know, every run, training run, long run, workout, 
ran right shoulder to shoulder with a teammate who ended up being an All-American that year. And I, you know, I don't know that I would have been an All-American, but I went into our national qualifying meet and I thought, you know, I'm going to nationals today. I'm going to qualify as an individual. That's that. I'm fit enough. I haven't really raced that well this year, but my workouts have been fantastic and I'm not overworking out. I'm just you know, this went wrong in that race, this went wrong in that race, this, you know, very pinpointable things, so I'm just going to go out, we were hosting the race, so I knew the course, um, and I don't, I don't really know exactly what, what led to this, but sometime around mile one, I, I pulled what I've come to refer to as a, a Jenny Berenger, you know, where she had that panic attack and NCAAs, and I just kind of freaked out, and, um, ended up shutting down, and it was, I think the slowest race of my collegiate career. Um, and, and, you know, I, I walked away from that and I was like, I have no idea what just happened. And I, you know, I got beat by teammates who hadn't beat me ever. And, you know, they beat me by 30 seconds for an 8K. Um, what would, you know, in a situation like that, you're a mile into a race, there's a lot of time left. I was still in qualifying spot at that mile mark when I just kind of imploded emotionally or mentally. You know, how, how does somebody – and that's – I feel like that may be pretty close to a worst-case scenario, um, yeah. you know, in a okay. race. What do you – you know, how do you – what do you do at that point? At that point, you should have a plan to fall back on. So your race plan has not only your pacing strategy and for longer races, nutrition, hydration, any equipment changes, but um, the mental strategy that you're going to execute in the race. And the mental strategy should be based on – um, some work that you've put in in training. Uh, even just reflecting as you're writing your race plan on some workouts that taught you strengths that you maybe didn't realize you had, some workouts that left you with some positive uh, memory that you could push through, you could persevere, you could stay shoulder to shoulder with the people that you wanted to, that you were capable of putting out or taking more than you thought you could in the race itself. And then not just recognizing those workouts, but boiling it down to a couple of phrases, or as we would say in yoga, to mantras that you can come back to during the race. It's also useful to tie them in with something physical. So it's not just like, oh, when things get tough, I'm going to remember to be strong and push through. But oh, when things get tough, I'm going to check my breath and make sure that I'm breathing um, as deeply as I can, given whatever effort I'm putting on. Or when things get tough, I'm going to relax my thumbs a little bit more and let my thumbs dangle. You know, something very um, specific tied to some little element of the physical form can kind of snap you out of that negative spiral. Right. Yeah, that's great. Um, four years later, I wish I'd had that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so what about, let's say, something maybe less mental, um, you know, the same pair of socks and shoes you've done all your long runs in and you're, you get to mile 17 of a marathon and all of a sudden your right sock is just, you don't know what's happening, but it's halfway down your shoe and that's never happened before. You right. know, what do you, what do you do then? Uh, well, you stop okay. and you take your shoe off and you pull your sock up. It's one of those things, you know, that it's better to nip in the bud to address situations like that or blisters that are coming on as soon as possible. But I like that in this scenario, Will, you said you're using everything that you already had practiced mm -hmm. with. Because often it turns out somebody says, oh, there was nothing new. And you say, really? Nothing <laughs> new? Well, I did drink at every aid station and I wasn't used to drinking that much in training. 
like right there, it's going to affect the way that your body is processing the fluids. Your feet might swell up a little bit. Your sock might start to creep down. Uh, blisters might start to form. So it's really important to plan everything in training and to practice, to practice in dress rehearsal and not just to practice your nutrition, hydration and pacing, but to practice them all simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the mm -hmm. nutrition that works for your long run is not going to be the appropriate uh, amount for your body to process when you're actually going at race pace. So practice, practice, practice. And then there at mile 17, your socks coming down, you got to control what you can take a moment to stop and reposition it. Uh, and then just use your best effort to cope with the things that you can't control. Right now, um, for dress rehearsals, you know, like Hanson's Brooks distance project in Michigan, they're, they're known or, you know, it's, frequently frequently written about how their group you know a month before three weeks before will do a what do they do like a 18 mile long run on the on the hardest part of the course in their uniform in their racing gear with with water stations where they're supposed to be um is that is that probably the model for a dress rehearsal or how do you you know is there a better model I think that's pretty great. You want to simulate the course conditions as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And if that means that you can actually get your body onto the course at the time of day, uh, or at the temperature and humidity that you expect to have on race day, all the better. If you can't, then it's useful to simulate that as best you can at home. Right. Uh, okay. So, like, is there a is there an optimal... Um, you know that that situation is there an is there an optimal dress rehearsal length or it depends on the race itself but you if you were really going at race effort you wouldn't want to go much more than somewhere between half and a quarter of the distance right. otherwise if you can perform if you can perform 3 quarters <laughs> Uh, or more in training, then you're going to have to revise your goals for the race. Or even worse, you might be putting out some putting of the it. effort that you should have been banking for the race itself. So I wouldn't go much beyond a half or three quarters and possibly considerably less. Okay. You can slot some dress rehearsal effort into a long run by finishing at a slightly faster pace or finishing at your intended marathon pace. Right. Um, and then what uh, what race distance do you say, like, Below that, you know, you don't really need to worry about a dress rehearsal. You're not going to, you know, it's not going to be long enough. Yeah, I think 10K and below. I mean, you still, you want, you want to still be familiar with your equipment. Right. But those races are short enough that the, the equipment issues you might have with your clothes, with chafing, definitely at the 5K or shorter with blisters, you're not going to even notice them. until the race is over. Exactly. And, you, yeah, you kind of actually mentioned that a few times in your book. Um. Now, goal setting. You know, how do you approach goal setting? Do you, at, before tra you know, before training cycle starts, you say, okay, I'm gonna run this race, and you know, I'm X Y Z marathon, and I run want to run 3:25. Period. Let's. What do we need to do to get there? Or do you, you know, how do you approach that? Do you do you wait until later in the cycle? It's good to know as you're committing to the race why you're doing mm -hmm. it. Like, why did you choose that race? Um, and what might be your yeah your goal time for the race? Now, if you have somebody who's a three twenty 
eight marathoner and wants to run a 325, then like, great, okay, we're moving toward it. But if you have somebody who's a four hour marathoner and is suddenly targeting a 325, then the discussion would change a little right. bit. So it's right. good to have a realistic goal as you start the cycle, but then all along the way, it's important to test yourself so that you can be sure that your goals are appropriate. And that can be during your rest weeks, it can be in tune-up races. There are all kinds of different ways to test yourself. And I outline a number of tests in Racing Wisely for various distances and sports even. Um, but it's good to have a, a starting goal and then be open to revision all the way along. And then for the race itself, I have my athletes make a spectrum of goals. So there's not just one do or die, like a BQ or nothing. Right. There are four goals. And the first goal is the super conservative goal, like I'll suck if I don't. And for some people that's finish, but for, for really all of us, it ought to be like, I'll suck if I don't take care of my body. Right. And I don't want to take this to the point where I injure myself or give myself heat exhaustion or hyponatremia. I mean, there are all kinds of worst case medical scenarios involved the longer the race gets. So that's the basic goal is to keep yourself in one piece and then possibly to finish. And then you'll have a goal that you will say is like your public goal. It's something that your training is completely indicated that you're that you're able to accomplish, even if some things go wrong on race day. Um, that's just the basic goal. And then there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a stretch goal, like, a, Oh, if I have a good day, then I'll get this. And that's something that you would tell your training partners and your friends and family who are going to be following you online, say in a marathon, cause they want to know, am I supposed to be happy for Will? Am right. I supposed to be worried about Will when I see his splits and then you'll have some pie in the sky goal. And it should still be something that on the best case scenario day, you might be able to accomplish. And that's something you would share with your favorite training partner or your coach, or even just kind of secretly with yourself. Like, I think that the best possible scenario in my training might be to run not a 325, but a 320. Right. You don't want to make that so unrealistic that it makes you go out at a pace that is not going to be sustainable over the entire race. But it's good to have that spectrum so that you can tweak it as things go along. Because if you start and your only goal is the 325, nothing else, then you might hurt yourself or set yourself up for just a horrible experience if things are out of your control. If there's a huge windstorm and, and rain and it slows everybody down, then you've kind of set yourself up for unhappiness. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> What do you, okay, so you, you've, get, you've got your goal and, you know, we'll use this, we'll continue with this 325 example and I show up to race day and uh, fitness is great. I've run, you know, my current P PR is 328 and, uh, but I'm fitter and my long runs have been a little bit faster and my workouts have been good, my tempo runs and I'm thinking, and again, in my head, I'm kind of, well, maybe 320 if everything goes well, but 325 is a very reasonable goal. Um, how do I approach that race? What do I, you know, kind of walk me through the stages of the race real briefly? Sure. It, in the book, I divide this into separate chapters. So what right. we're talking about now is like a time trial mm -hmm. event where you're running for a specific time versus um, in competition to place in a certain position relative to the field. So knowing what your 325 is gonna be, you know what your average pace needs to be for the entire race, you start at that average pace, you continue at that average pace, and maybe about mile 18, mile 20, if everything is going really well, then you can start to bear down a little bit harder and pick it up. 
but you don't go out at the 320 pace right. saying, oh, well, I'll run this pace as long as I can and then I'll slow down. No, for 325, you start at that pace and you continue at that pace. And so you wouldn't even say start at like 327 pace and progress. You would just say run that goal pace. Yeah, I would aim I would aim for the goal pace from the beginning, but of course so much of this depends yeah. on how big is the field. Right. Are you going to be able to hit that pace from the start or are you going to necessarily be slowed down because the field is big? Mm. What's the terrain like? Is there some portion of the race that veers off-road um, that'll slow folks down a little bit or is there a part of the race that has some large hills in which case you might expect to slow down there a little bit. So it's it's course dependent, it's field dependent. But the best way to finish is to start as you mean to continue. Cool. Um, and then let's talk about a race where you're more concerned about competition than time. Um, so then things get very exciting. Yeah. And you have to know a bunch of variables. And a lot of this is stuff that you can do um, during training and even just on your computer. You want to know the course as well as you can. Mm -hmm. And ideally, that means that you have run on the course as much as possible. Obviously, if you're traveling from out of town for a race, it's a little bit harder. But you want to look at GPS profiles. You want to look at elevation. You want to look at terrain, at any technical elements of the course. And then you want to compare those with your own strengths and weaknesses so that you know where you can exploit your strengths. Mm -hmm. Like if you're good on hills, then you're gonna push the hills. If you're good on technical sections, downhill on a steep trail, then you're gonna prepare yourself to just let her rip on those descents. Uh, then you can compare also your strengths and weaknesses relative to the course and relative to your competition and figure out who, who's good on the uphills, who's good on the downhills, who's got a really good kick, who always starts too fast and then winds up blowing up because mm -hmm. those folks you don't have to notice at the line quite so much and then given all of those factors you want to figure out how should you best warm up so that you can execute the plan that you're going to need to race against the field if you know there's going to be a really fast start then you need to be ready to go hard from the beginning if it's a, a bigger race like again like a, a large city marathon where you know that it's not going to start too fast there's going to be a little bit of traffic because you're starting in the second corral then you can warm up into it a little bit differently. So you want to figure out not just how exactly you want to run the course and who you need to be around, but also how you're going to be ready to go from the very beginning. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And, and that kind of brings a question to mind. Um, who would you say the, you know, what's your target audience for this book? And I know that's a weird question at this point in the interview, um, no, it's it's a good question. It's it's very large. I mean, I try to cover a big scope, and there will be some folks like. who are exclusively, say, marathon runners who might not be at all interested in everything I have to say about open water swimming. Although <laughs> I think that's pretty interesting because there are a whole lot of contingencies to think mm -hmm. through when you're talking about like a beach start swim, yeah. where you're going to be running over muscle shells and through waves and into a current. Uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. But I really cover everything from a 10K open water swim to a mile race on the track. Okay, so it's, it's pretty broad, pretty broad. And the the psychological principles apply across the board to be very clear on what your goals are, to also be clear on what your intention is. And that's something we haven't talked about yet. But intention has to do with your attitude, um, kind of the philosophical part of the race. Like, why are you doing this? And your intention will help you cope when things are out of your control. 
So we set our intention, we set our goals, and we develop a plan that we then execute as best we can. And that works for races of any distance or type. Yeah. And talking about intention real quick, one thing that I noticed as I was flipping through your book was there was a picture of somebody's gear from a transition or something and the label on it, they had written like two Bible verse references and then it said family. And yeah. I was like, wow, they wanted, you know, they, as they wanted to make sure that as they were transitioning or, you know, I'm, I've never run a triathlon, so I don't know exactly how that functions, but I imagine as they were transitioning, um, they would see the two Bible verses, which I didn't, I don't even remember what the references were. Um, Right, but I think it's a date, and I have no idea what that. It might have been a date, and the other, was. yeah, you're right. It was a date, and then there was mm-hmm. it was Second Corinthians something, um, mm-hmm. and then family, and so they were, you know, those three things. They, I was like, wow, they want they want to remember those so badly that they went out of their way to write that on their name tag or label or whatever that was on their on their bag, and I thought that was that that ties into that intention really nicely. I love that photo. I snapped that. I don't know whose bag it was. I snapped it at a special needs station at an iron distance triathlon uh, that I was spectating. And I just loved it. Yeah, I loved it like you did. I'm glad that you liked it because that's the bag where you put in the things that you think you might want during the race. And I love that as a brief note and a reminder, what am I doing here? What do I want to remember when things are tough? And trust me, Will, by the time you get to the special needs station and Ironman, (laughs) <laughs> stuff is tough. You want that. You want that little reminder. I would imagine. What point of the race is that station? Oh, pretty far along. It could be um, somewhere, anywhere. Sometimes you pass by them twice. It could be mile three. It could be mile nine. It could be mile 18. It depends on the course. Okay. But it's in the marathon leg. Yeah, in the, the marathon okay. portion. Wow. Yeah. I'd imagine it's pretty tough there. Um, yeah. So, so going back kind of a little bit to to um, audience, and that that was kind of what I was getting at is it like basically you, you could you would um, suggest this book to anyone from a high schooler who's you know a, a track or cross country athlete in high school all the way up to an age group runner you know a masters or grandmasters age group runner and anyone I think so. anyone in between this would be relevant to them. I think so. I- Yes, and my intended audience is both folks who are just getting into races and then folks who feel like they're just never quite performing to the level that their training would have indicated. Mm-hmm. Because there's always something, there's always something that I could tune up for every race I do as well. And so I I really think that it does cover a very broad spectrum from folks who are just getting into things and feeling overwhelmed by all the variables that they have to consider when they choose and travel to and then run a race. Um, to folks who have done races for several, several years. Excuse me. Right. Um, yeah, and that's that's perfect. Um, I think you talk about – I think there's a section towards the end of the book talking about recovering um, physically and mentally after a race. Um, at least I had that written down as that being the case. So uh, what, is that, what does that look like? And then what's the most important thing um, out of that whole spectrum – in recovery? The most important element for recovery is time. And like you said, I wrote a whole book on recovery called The Athlete's Guide to Recovery. And along the course of researching and writing that book, I looked at everything from e-stem to compression garments to nutrition. And the single best thing you can do to guarantee your recovery is to give your body time to do the things that 
it knows how to do. And that's true for your mind too. You know, you might make a very brash decision in the hours after a race, never again will I run another marathon or I need to sign up to do another one as soon as possible. And you got to give that some time to settle. <laughs> so that's the single most important element for your recovery. Um, it's also important not to rush back too soon. And that's a temptation that we have, um, whether we ran the race to the best of our ability and we feel so pumped and we can't wait to do another one or to do it even faster than we did already, or whether we had a bad day, didn't really execute the plan that we had wanted to, or found some situation that was out of our control, then we want vindication and we want to get back into it as soon as possible. And either end of that spectrum, you don't want to do anything too quick. You need to give yourself some time so that you can let the body heal all the way down on the cellular level. And then also just let your mojo rejuice because you can't be all on and have a great day all the time. You got to give yourself time in between. Right. And what would you say, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a situation where something just went went terrible for terribly for someone. Let's say, you know, someone train you know puts they've got a four month training cycle leading up to a marathon. Uh, they run the marathon on marathon day. It's just a terrible day. It's ten degrees colder than it normally is on that day. It's rainy. Um, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things there that you can't control, but very clearly that's going to impede your performance. And when you go into a race like that and you're like, wow, I think I'm as fit as I've ever been. Um, how do you, you know, do you, do you, you know, do you kind of fold your tent early in the race and say, I'm going to figure something out in two weeks or what do you do? It really depends on what your intention and goals are. But if you are super clear on your intention and your goals, then any decision you need to make ought to be a lot easier. For example, if you're like, I am running a 325 or bust, and if you realize that the situation is just not going to be right for you to run that 325, then maybe you don't start, and you pack it in, and you find another race in a week or two, and you just boost your training a touch, do a couple more sharpening workouts, and then try again in two weeks. If instead you get about halfway through and you realize you're having a crummy day, then the decision gets a little bit muddier because you've already burned some of those matches. You know, you've right. used up some of the training. It's going to take you a little bit longer to get back to the point where you can have a do-over. So be very, very clear on exactly what your goals are, and that decision is a lot easier. I have a friend who um, was literally at the gate to get on her flight to Boston in 2012 when it was so hot. Mm. And she, they were boarding the plane and she thought, yeah, I just don't want to go and run it really slow. It doesn't <laughs> seem like it's going to be fun. She turned around and she said, I'm not sorry, I'm not getting on this plane. And she turned around and went home and signed up for a race two weeks later. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So that, that would yeah. be, you're not necessarily, you would be a proponent of doing something like that. I think if your goal is to run a fast race and to be com comfortable is maybe not the word for a marathon, but to, you know, to take care of yourself. If you realize 95 degrees, it's not going to work for me. It's going to be miserable. I've already run the race several times. It's just not that important mm -hmm. to me. Then yeah, absolutely. Why would you do that to yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, if instead your goal is to, to finish no matter what, like you, you dedicated the race to um, somebody, you've raised a lot of money for charity. And if, you're going to do it slow. You're going to do it slow. That's great too. It's just all about, um, what's going to suit you and serve your goals and intentions. Yeah. And, 
and you know maybe we I don't know that we've talked about intentions enough so far. What um you know that's actually even a a term that I had never really thought of uh, before earlier when we were talking. Uh, so at least with re- obviously I know the word intention, but with regard regards to s- approaching a race, um, how does one go about determining what their intentions are? Your intention has to do with the attitude that you want to have. Intention is kind of a vague thing. I, I do try to, to define it in the book, especially relative to goals. Like I said, it's philosophical, and it's more of a quality than a quantity. You can't measure it. You may not even really be able to put words to it. Sometimes it's more about an emotion or even a visual image. Um, the examples I give in the book are I give some broad ones and some little ones. Like if you realize that uh, – you have a a very comfortable life and you want to push your limits a little bit. And in racing, your problem has been that you shy back when things get too intense or you're just a little sluggish to, to follow when somebody makes an attack, then maybe your intention for the race would be to be courageous. Like I'm going to push through even when things hurt. uh, And I'm going to trust that there's a little bit more in there than I think there is. Uh, And so then your intention might be that whole statement or it might be courage. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're just really, really happy to have made it um, to the stage in your racing career and you're trying a new distance for the first time and you're just really happy to be feeling healthy. Maybe you have a history of injury. Maybe then your intention is gratitude. And when your intention is gratitude, you're going to run the race a little differently than when your attitude is your intention is courage. And I'm really going to push down. So intention is um, personal. It's private. It's qualitative. uh, It's not a public thing. And when we think of it that way and contrast it with goals, goals are public. You know, you either make them or you don't. Right. Um, they're quantifiable. You can measure them. Um, and they're, 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 they're public versus the private of intention. I think that when we think of the two opposite each other, then we realize that there's, there's room for both. And that both are going to help you have your personal best race. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, like um, I was just thinking back kind of over my racing career as you were talking about intention and, and moments where it was like, you know, yeah, just thinking of, of instances where, where I decided going into a race, I'm not running this race for the sake of racing. I'm running this race for a specific, you know, for X, Y, and Z reason. And uh, yeah, so I, I guess it's something that I've practiced. I just had never thought about it in those terms. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the case for a lot of people is it's something that they do. Mm-hmm. Because that's it's pretty intrinsic when you define it like you do. Um, it's just something you know. It's something that happens. Uh, but being intention intentional, being being, being, intentional. being specific exactly about right. being intentional as you approach uh-huh. a race is. Uh, I think that's pro- that probably could make a huge difference than just kind of lackadaisically approaching a race and saying, "Well, my goal is this," and here we go. Yeah, exactly. And when you have, when you're very clear on your intention, then in moments of potential crisis, you can get a huge boost. Mm -hmm. So if your intention is to uh, say you just lost your grandmother and your intention is to, you know, celebrate her life and all the things that she taught you, you might think of a few lessons that she taught you. And if you, you know, your intention is grandma for the race, then you might find some huge strength from that in moments where you are, are, 
encouraged to push beyond what you thought you could. Yeah, actually, um, similar to that, my my cousin, who's a good bit older, he's my second cousin, I guess, good bit older than me, and when I was in high school, um, died, passed away, and um, I just kind of went into this race. Well, I had a race. It was a big race, one of the biggest races of the season, of the regular season for a cross-country team, um, big invitational, out of town, and it was the same weekend as his funeral, and so it was like one or the other, and he lived in New York, I lived in Tennessee, so getting the funeral was going to be a problem anyway, but that was it was an option to go, but I would have needed to miss this race, and I kind of called his wife, and I was like, what should I do, and she was like, go run the race, and I was like, well, okay, well, but then I'm going to do this, you know, for Mike, for my cousin, and uh, <laughs> big, big invitational, young racer, I went out uh, four seconds for a 5K, cross-country race, four seconds slower than my mile personal best. Um, split, went through the mile, <laughs> and I just remember being like, sweet, <laughs> way to go. Um, and, you know, I went under the clock, and I was like, well, first I kind of came around the corner, and the clock was, you know, I could see the clock, and and uh, I was like, wow, I'm about to PR for a mile. And then I was, like, <laughs> and then I got there, and I didn't quite PR, but I was like, okay, well, you know, if I blow up, then all this in my head of saying I wanted to run well for Mike this week, you know, since I'm not going to be at his funeral, um, that's pointless. Like, so just, I was like, well, just double down and like, like dig deep and like find, find something. And I remember I said a little prayer too. I was like, well, God, I, I got myself into this mess. Maybe you can get me out of it. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's, that's definitely, you know, when you, you bring something in that's outside of yourself. Um, you can definitely find some courage to get some, you know, I ran, I almost ran through a mile faster than I'd ever run in my life. And then I went on and I did PR over 5k that day. Um, which is, yeah, which is, it's a fun memory to look back on, but I think any other day, if I'd gone out four seconds slower than my PR, I probably would have folded my tent up a little bit and maybe that would have been reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story. I love it. You felt connected to something bigger and then it makes your racing part of your life experience and mm-hmm. not just something that you're doing. Well, and you realize that that's not the biggest thing in the world too, which is easy, you know, from in my experience at least it's easy when in my head the utmost importance is the result of this race. It's easy for that race to go wrong. And then it and then then nothing's good. <laughs> um now let's uh, let's talk about a your racing again. What what race um, did you learn the most from, or had the most long term impact on how you've approached future races and coached people to approach races, and and what kind of situation was that? You know, I was thinking about how I would answer this question, and <laughs> I'll I'll add this caveat here mm-hmm. that this is not necessarily the approach that. I recommend for everybody, I think most people wind up starting off way too fast and then they crash and burn. But I am inherently extremely lazy and my tendency is always going to be to start too slow. And then it feels pretty good to go slow and so I'll just continue going slow the whole time. And I'm thinking specifically of my first marathon and then my personal best, a mile, just a time trial on the track. It wasn't even a race. And in both of those, I had a pacer, a friend, my husband and 
our first marathon and uh, a running partner in that mile time trial who ran at the beginning with me and helped me set the pace and then peeled off mm -hmm. and took me out faster than I would naturally have gone on my own, but turned out to be capable of holding. Uh, and I guess the, the take home there is to, to start at the right pace, given your strengths and weaknesses. Right. And my weakness is that I'm lazy and I like to go slow. <laughs> For most people, their weakness is that they feel fresh at the beginning and then they can't bear down at the end. Cool. Yeah, that's so just get out based on what's going to be best for the rest of your race, basically. Interesting. That's that's not where I expected that answer to go. But that's that's awesome. <laughs> um, now, Sage, where uh, what's what's the best place for people? You know, you've got you've got those other books on yoga and how it interacts with you've got a running one and a cycling one. Right. Um. I'm sorry. Will you say it again? You were breaking up on me a oh, little bit. Oh, my bad. There. Uh, your your other four books. What are, what are, what are the top? What are the titles of those other four books, real quick? There is the Athlete's Guide to Yoga, okay. the Athlete's Pocket Guide to Yoga, and that's a kind of a companion book to the Athlete's Guide to Yoga. It's spiral bound, so it lies flat. You can set it down on your mat. It's got little sequences to do before your run, after your run. Um, then there's the Athlete's Guide to Recovery and the Runner's Guide to Yoga, which came out last year in 2012. And then Racing Wisely. And I've got a bunch of online videos. At, you can get to them for, through my site, which is sageroundtree.com, but a whole host of videos on yoga for runners and athletes of every stripe at yogavibes.com. So folks can practice along at home there. Yoga, and we will, we will link to both of those sites Super. as well. Um, and then what's the best place for people, if any of those books um, – including Racing Wisely, what's the best place for people to buy those? You can get them all on Amazon. That's probably easiest for folks. You can link to them from my site, sageroundtree.com. And one thing I should mention is that if you go to the Racing Wisely page on my site, which you can go to racingwisely.com and it'll click you right through, there are both PDFs and then Word documents of all of the forms that I reference in the book. For example, a race planning questionnaire, a race plan worksheet, a kind of a post-race debrief, a packing list. You can just look at them in PDF or you can take the Word file and make it your own, customize it however you want. So whether or not you read the book, and I hope you'll read the book, I think those documents might be of good use to you. Yeah, that's awesome. And so we'll link to those also. Um, awesome. Well, is there anything, anything else that I'm kind of missing that we need to put out there for people to know? great it was a great conversation and i loved your story about racing for my yeah that was, it was <laughs> it's a fun race to think about sometimes thanks sage you thanks will